I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Gordon Lawson, CEO at Conceal, provider of an intelligence grade zero trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more about our sponsor, Conceal, visit conceal.io. Also joining us is Christopher Cleary, former principal cyber advisor and former CISO at the U.S. Navy. Welcome, Chris and Gordon. Great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Right, thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. So, Chris, a lot of people know you as the uh, former CISO at the U.S. Navy. You've held a lot of other positions serving our country. You can uh, explain it a lot better than I can, maybe a 30,000-foot view of uh, your background for our listeners. Sure. Yeah. So uh, just recently, uh, as of just a couple of weeks ago, I finished up actually as the principal cyber advisor for the Department of the Navy. Uh, I was in that position for about three years. Uh, that was a byproduct of the uh, 2020 National Defense Authorization Act that required all the services to appoint cyber advisors to their respective secretaries. As you mentioned before that, uh, I came back to the Department of the Navy as the chief information security officer, did that for a year, was working for Aaron Weiss under sort of a re-empowered Department of the Navy CIO office. You know, before that, uh, a variety of defense contractors, Lidos, L3, Sparta, uh, a, tech a tech startup that failed miserably uh, and was with Tenable when they got to go public. Uh, before that, also a 20-year information warfare officer within the department uh, working for the Navy, uh, mostly as a surface warfare officer and eventually becoming an intelligence officer, which really led to my, the beginning of my cyber career. So yeah, jack of a, you know, jack of all trades, so to speak, from a, from a Navy background. Yeah, well, we can't wrap up without mentioning that you graduated from the U.S. Naval War College, right? Yeah, so the War College actually, you know, uh, I'm also a Naval Academy grad like like Gordon is, uh, graduated just a couple years before him at the Academy. You know, the War College was just uh, within the within the career path of, of typical Naval officers. Um, you'll find yourself at the War College. I went through the distance education program for three years to get your joint professional military education uh, and then ultimately a master's degree in it with a subspecialty in, in sort of a cyber warfare, computer network operations is, was my uh, focus when I was there. So Gordon, jump in here because you and I talk to a lot of ex-military uh, leaders, fantastic people. They make a huge contribution to our industry, but I'm curious to, to learn more and know more about the Navy's contribution in particular. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think every every service has its uh, cyber force, and you know, it's one thing that I've I've been lucky since I've actually gotten out of the Navy to do to have more interactions because I was not I was a surface warfare officer, I was not a information warfare or cyber officer in the military, but um, every force has its kind of uh, center of like center of operations, I would say. Chris, you can keep me honest here, but uh, you know, Navy's Maryland, the Army is here in Augusta. There's other sites. Air Force is a little more, what, what would you say, Chris, maybe more San Antonio focused, I think. So so it's really interesting. And then, you know, we have joint capabilities as well. But uh, it's it's really fascinating, I think, to see even just in the last decade, it's really expanded uh, uh, significantly. And that that was, I think, I t I've shared this with you, Steve. We moved Conceal from Virginia to Augusta because I think by the numbers, Augusta, is the Augusta, Georgia, is the second largest concentration of military cyber in the country. And so it's a great ecosystem that we're working to build up and bring some of those folks as they get out into uh, into the civilian world. So Chris, you were interviewed by The Record. They wrote a great story. And you were quoted by The Record saying that the Navy had fallen behind in cyber. I don't want to take that out of context, but I am curious to know your perspective and, and maybe talk to us a little bit about the strategy that they unveiled. Actually, that's a great question. If we go back four years, 
uh, when I came back into the department working for the CIO. But that comment was mostly referencing not necessarily cybersecurity, but a lot of our IT infrastructure had really sort of fallen behind where, you know, let's say the commercial world had had uh, moved to, you know, we were working on some legacy things and some stuff that had gone, you know, was no longer being supported. So that was more of a comment of trying to get our hands around our whole IT infrastructure, modernize it to the way where it could be defended uh, with modern day tools. What I will say is over that four year journey, particularly over COVID, the Navy went from a point where that was probably a true statement to a point where the Navy, particularly on its enterprise IT things, went from wherever you could say about it negatively to a very, very strong positive, being the uh, kind of the first to roll out what we become the, the foundation of the Department of the Navy's now zero trust uh, infrastructure, mostly leveraging Microsoft products with our flank speed initiative uh, as we pushed people to work in remote environments based on the on the COVID pandemic. So there were a lot of things that we learned in that space. Uh, the Navy had at the time, well, it still does have one of the more robust CSSPs, uh, the Navy Cyber uh, Defensive uh, NC Doc is what we referred to it down in the Hampton Roads area. Uh, that is a very mature organization that does monitor currently about 750,000 endpoints of our unclassified enterprise IT environment. So where they started four years ago, principally under the CIO leadership, uh, we've gotten pretty far. Now that said, as I came on scene as the principal cyber advisor, which was a peer to the CIO, um, Aaron Weiss and I had sort of really figured out two ways to, 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 to sort of bifurcate what we were doing for the department. He was very much on the enterprise IT, very heavy cybersecurity side of it. And the CIO and the PCA came into more of the war fighting side of what we did. Think defense critical infrastructure, weapons system security, uh, and then the advocacy and the support of the mission force. Gordon already sort of touched on it a little bit. There's a very robust uh, 6,000 some odd operators across all of the services. Actually, I tip my hat to the Army all the time in Fort Gordon. They're probably uh, leading the pack in a lot of this, principally with what they've done in that area. Uh, but the Navy has made some pretty significant strides in the last couple of years. To include the release of about a year ago, uh, our cyberspace superiority vision document, which came out of the PCA office. And then just recently, as I was leaving, working in concert with the CIO, we released the Department of the Navy's first ever cyber strategy. So Gordon, I want to pivot uh, and talk to something uh, that, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to bring this back up again, but uh, we're seeing uh, ransomware amping up. It's just become such a big problem. Uh, it's cybercrime, but uh, you know, it's also cyber warfare. I mean, we're seeing it all over the place. So I, I do want to just ask you about this and maybe you know put it in perspective for us. 2023, what did we see? Uh, because you know we're not seeing any slowdown at all. Well, I think uh, there was a great article in Bloomberg about this. I think came out last week, Steve, and I'll just cite some facts from there. But you know, 2022, there was a, a little bit of a downturn in the amount, at least, of reported ransomware. But you can see it correlated with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So the idea is that maybe that some of those criminal actors were diverted. Instead of going after private corporations, they focused it, you know, on Ukraine. Once again, this is all, you know, uh, unclassified, you know, open source information. But I think that makes that makes uh, makes sense that that would occur. Now, when when those organizations are losing their revenue stream in ransomware, they're going to ramp it back up, which makes sense in 2023, especially when I think you see Ukraine and its partners is pretty resilient to a lot of these attacks, which is great. Um, so it's been ramped up. It, you have Clorox, you have Johnson Controls, 
you have MGM, you have Caesars. We know some of those paid ransom. We know some of those probably did, but it hasn't been confirmed. Uh, when you, when organizations are paying tens of billions of dollars in ransom, it's going to continue. Uh, there's no there's no there's no way to sugar, kind of sugarcoat that. And so I think that all of those factors are what's contributed to the rise this year. And I think the numbers are saying we're saying uh, 500 million or so has been paid out in 2023. I expect that will continue in 2024. And, and the and the fundamental problem is is that you can back up systems in order to get back online. But when you combine, I think, very advanced social engineering coupled with the power of AI, where you can basically, you know, find out anything you wanted to to be able to personalize an attack, and you still have open attack surface, which the browser and email are still are, no matter what other controls you have, it's really, really hard to defend against this. So I think it's kind of a perfect storm, and I expect it will continue in 2024. Well, Chris, to build on what uh, Gordon just shared, we're uh, also observing gangs uh, who have been shut down reemerging. We see the same threat actors, you know, coming back. So, you know, it looks like they're going away and then we, we see them coming back. And the damage costs are far more than any ransoms that are being paid. You know, Gordon, you spoke about Augusta before. You know what happened, uh, you know, there in Augusta, they were hit with a ransomware attack. I think they were you know, out of commission for, you know, several weeks, took them about a month and a half to fully come back online. So, you know, the damage costs are really hard to estimate. Uh, Chris, how concerned are you about ransomware and do you see a path forward on this? Yeah, actually it concerns me a lot. And, and to sort of pivot on a lot of things that Gordon said, where there's money, you're going to find people, find people wanting to exploit those things. And you're right, as long as people are paying ransomware, people are going to continue to conduct ransomware attacks. The thing that he said that scares me the most about all of this is as ransomware can be more and more targeted. You know, I think of ransomware, you know, in the beginning, you think about it like a minefield. You know, you can throw a bunch of it out there and some people click on it and some people don't. And you're an opportunistic criminal and the people that do, you're going to lock their things up and you're going to approach them and say, hey, let's do some monetary transaction. I'll give you your information back. As ransomware can be more and more targeted, not only to the specificity of the target, let's say I can socially engineer an email that's going to be very compelling for me to want to click on it. Looks like one of my kids. But when I can start delivering ransomware with precision, not just only hooking an individual and getting them to click something, and maybe even begin to deliver ransomware where I don't need the, the, the victim to be a participant in clicking on it as we you know, modify ways to do that. That's what really scares me because that's when you really get into the weaponeering of a tool. So as we got to the World War II and the invention of the Norden bomb site, you know, we dropped bombs that we believed had the accuracy of the Norden bomb site. It didn't really play out that way. You fast forward to today, you know, we can deliver precision munitions. You know, it's trivial now how accurate we can be with a kinetic weapon. I believe we're in the very early stages of the accuracy of cyber kind of weapons, and I'll put ransomware wiper kind of tools into that category of effects that an adversary could generate targeted towards the things that I care about. Hey, Steve, let me jump in on the targeted piece here. I just share a quick story with you guys that I think this happened to me last week. And I think this is not just ransomware, but this is just cyber fraud um, with a multi-vector approach. So top five bank, which is my bank, number is uh is is stolen and, and 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 you know used on my cell phone comes up as the bank very professional person on there claiming that a new account has been set up and they're transferring money via zelle they they don't ask for any information in fact they have some of my 
you know, PII, nothing crazy, but enough that I was like, oh, this is needs to be investigated. Gives me another 800 number that they say purports to be to Zelle with some case numbers and someone's name. And when you go to that, basically, like if you go to that, they're going to get, you're going to get an account. They're going to get your Zelle or your, I've also seen this happens with, I've heard this happens with Venmo and your checking account is wiped out. They're able to um, pretend to be legitimate sources. To say, this is the same way, the same vector. I don't know all the details of the MGM vector, but I know that it was a very good English-speaking group that got to an IT admin, and that's how credentials were shared. I mean, this is getting really, really hard to defend against. And, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty, like, I'm kind of trained to know when things don't feel right. It's really, really hard for for not just a, a consumer, but certainly a, even a seasoned corporate person to to not fall for these. So let me pose this to both of you. In an NBC report, Google recently shared some research we put out. They estimate three and a half million unfilled cybersecurity jobs globally. They zero in on the U.S. They estimate around six hundred thousand of those are here in our country. How much of a, a part of the problem? is a lack of cyber fighters or, or isn't it? Um, you know, what's your perspective both insofar as uh, ransomware and more broadly uh, cyber crime? I think we have to, from my perspective, Steve, we have to continue getting young people into the community. We're sponsoring some great events this in 2024 with the Georgia Cyber Center, which is right next door. Uh, that, that one is a STEM um, capture the flag focused event for middle school in, in March, then another one in September. So I think that these types of things are great. I think the other area that I really think we need to focus on and love to get Chris's take on this is a lot of our, our young warfighters who are getting out, they're sort of conditioned that they have to go back and work in government as a contractor. Whereas, you know, Chris spent time with a great, a great, it didn't always, wasn't always a big company. It was a startup at one point at Tenable. He spent time at these other private corporations. And I think that we need to get more military talent into our cybersecurity startup ecosystem in the United States. And that's something we're working on here that I'm passionate about. But but I think that's a huge talent source that we're maybe not, we need to focus on more on that transition into the private sector. Yeah, so I'd like to hear from you on that, Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna laugh because this is a funny sort of, we could be a back and forth. You know, a lot of the problem that we see is there are so few people in this space that yeah, most of our young operators do after a couple of years make their way over to those those commercial opportunities uh, to double or sometimes triple their salaries. So we see a lot of that. So you know, on the other side of that coin, because everybody is desperate for talent right now. I mean, it just doesn't matter if you're government, if you're commercial, military, the intelligence community. Everybody has openings. You know, and our problem in the Department of Defense a lot of it is the retention. You know. And one of the good things that the DOD does for the ecosystem is we will bring in young soldiers, sailor, airmen, Marines, guardians, coast guardmen, train them to be cyber operator through government programs at government expense. And yeah, they'll ultimately go out into the industry and help uh, contribute to the environment. You're right. They all don't have to go work at Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin and Lidos. All of those companies are equally desperate for talent. And a lot of them do make their way into the tenables and, you know, the crowd strikes and these other sort of commercial security companies. Uh, what we really need to try and figure out how to do is how do you make that a more of a revolving door without a negative connotation against it? You know, that, that there is a way to come back and forth because one of the, one of the attractive things of being in uniform 
whether that's law enforcement or the intelligence community or the military, is you've got unique authorities. There's certain things that you can do in those jobs that you can't do in the commercial world. In the commercial world, you can certainly help build those products and provide those capabilities and solutions back to, let's say, customers that have the authorities to go use them. And I think that's where the attractiveness of staying fluid inside of this environment to go work at a place, to build a tool, to advance a capability, and then maybe be the one that goes back into the environment where you have the authorities to use that tool or capability for the government, for law enforcement, for the intelligence community. Uh, again, because you can't do a lot of this stuff out in, out in the private side. So Chris, to close out here, um, you know, we're heading into 2024. There's a lot of companies that don't have CISOs. They don't have full-time cybersecurity personnel. You know, we're talking a lot about, you know, big agencies and large enterprises. But when you start to move downstream, these smaller companies are struggling with the same issues. They're faced with ransomware. Uh, what advice do you have for the smaller and mid-sized company that, that don't have those type of resources? So I'm not going to say this is necessarily advice for the smaller or mid-sized companies, but I think one of the concepts that I saw the NSTAC release many, many years ago was this idea of kind of acknowledging what you as an organization should be capable of doing. For instance, I would expect Citibank to be much more capable at dealing with cyber activity, nefarious activity in their environments than a small startup or a flower company, right? That don't necessarily have large IT staffs where people that would, you know, their business is not to do IT. It's just, I need IT to, to enable their business. And this is where they, they get caught up in these uh, malware, ransomware things that they just don't anticipate coming. So I think the real, the real advice is, you know, find a CISO, find a security professional who really understands how to interact with the organizations that they may need to interact with if they have a problem. You know, do you have somebody that has a relationship or understands the way I'm going to call CISA or local law enforcement when I have a malware, how I'm going to do continuity of operations? Because I think the CISO of 10 years ago was a compliance CISO. I've got my compliance. I'm going to go through my checklist. I'm going to meet the things I need to do. That's a different animal than somebody who has to know how to deal in an emergency. You know, think first responders, right? That's a, hey, I show up on an event. It's a mess. I know I have to uh, get resources to people that I need or how to communicate activities back and forth. I think that's the new skill set of the CISO is knowing how to operate when things go bad, not just know that I've met all the checklists of my company to ensure that I'm doing the best that I can to protect my infrastructure. So Gordon, I think, you know, we're, you know, fans of Conceal, we've taken your technology into the labs and, you know, very jazzed about what you're doing. But I think more importantly, uh, it's all of these tentacles you have out there, these partners uh, who are working with Conceal that are equipped to help these small and mid-sized businesses who are faced with a huge challenge. You know, they're staring down the barrel at ransomware and they just don't know where to begin. How important is that for the vendor community to partner up to help these small companies? Well, I, as, I've, as I've said many times, Steve, I, we love the MSP community. We, I th we think that they, and they really are, they're the backbone of protecting the small businesses of America because, you know, most companies, less than 1,000 or less than 500 employees or less than 100 employees, which is a whole lot of them, you know, don't necessarily have all the, uh, the resources they need. And so we want to give them great threat intelligence about what we're seeing at the browser level so they can protect themselves better, a great telemetry, if you will. We want to partner with the other tools they have so that what they've already invested in works well um, and, and do it at a very you know, reasonable and competitive price point. That's, 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 we're very passionate about that. But I think that every 
vendor out there and obviously vendors take on different shapes and sizes, but you know, really having an offering that supports that small business community through MSPs is, is critical from our, our perspective. Well, gentlemen, we appreciate having both of you on with us. Uh, Chris, uh, it was a privilege. Thank you so much for your service to our country, to the Navy, and the contributions to cyber. I uh, hope you'll keep in touch with us as you continue on your journey. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you for having me. I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. This interview is sponsored by Conceal, provider of an intelligence grade zero trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more, visit conceal.io. You can keep up with all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com.